Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast in which I, Mark Decano, talk to insiders from the world of comedy with relish, enthusiasm, moxie, verve, gumption, intensity and gusto. And my guests respond with candour, probity, dedication, passion, ingenuousness and sincerity. I'd like to say more, but I just don't have the words. My guest this episode is a stand-up comedian and online media sensation. Her TikTok and Instagram sketch videos on Anglo-French differences are intelligent and hilarious and continue to amass millions of views and followers. Comedian Tati McLeod. Hello, are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, Yeah, good. I've got a cup of tea. I'm ready for the chat. Perfect. Fantastic. So let me ask, first of all, how did comedy come into your life when you were growing up? Oof. Very little is the answer to that question. I definitely was not raised. Oh, well, that's a lie. I was not <laughs> raised. I was not raised in a household where we watched any comedy. Uh, okay. we, my mum wasn't a big fan of stand up. There wasn't lots of videos playing. I think we borrowed a tape from a neighbour, a videotape that is from a neighbour of Peter Kay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really the only stand-up that I remember from being a child was um, was was Peter Kay, yeah. and I don't think that I'd seen any other stand-up uh, really apart from that, except many years later um, as an adult, sort of watching TV. But it, it was not something that I was familiar with. Being a comedian or stand-up comedian was quite an alien concept to me. Mm. Uh, but in terms of funny and humour, yes, I would say that my mum and my sisters we really laughed together. My mum is good at like making funny voices and playing characters. She's got a fantastic sense of humour. So lots of laughter, but yeah. not necessarily associated with stand-up comedy or the comedy world. Right. Okay. So at what point was it that uh, you got an interest in comedy or becoming part of the scene? Much, 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 much later on. <laughs> <laughs> it was very roundabout. I always enjoyed doing... I started off being a performer because I went to drama school and, you know, my aspiration was to become an actor. And then I started writing and directing and Mm -hmm. I always gravitated towards comedy. So as an actor, I was a comedic actress. I was always looking for comedy roles and that was my strength. So comedy Mm -hmm. was always in my blood. It was in my system. It was what I gravitated towards. And funny enough, so my sister, my big sister did some stand up many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember going to see her and even then I wouldn't say that I clicked on it I didn't think to myself yeah this is this is a thing for me uh, but I guess I would have to credit her with that being the first my first experience mm-hmm. of stand-up really was going to see my sister do do a gig and um, and then after I graduated from drama school when I was about I think I don't know, maybe it was like 2017. I had a friend of mine who said, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go and do five minutes at Comedy Virgins. And I thought, mm. really? In my mind, I was sort of thinking, I mean, I don't think they're that funny, but <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. You know, let's go and see. And then and then that's sort of what sparked the idea. But, but because I was still doing acting and directing, it took a, a little while longer for me to commit to it. And I think Sarah Barron, I know I heard her talk about this thing of like, she tried it and then it took a long time before she like committed to it. And I think there's something in that with stand up because you can't really do it. It's not a bitty thing. You can't Mm. do one gig and then maybe do another gig two weeks later and then try another gig, you know, one gig a week, you know, to do stand up. I think you've got to commit yourself to doing 
in the beginning at least the solid sort of five days a week six days like as much as you can to really get a sort of like to really get the engine in motion and it wasn't until late 2018 uh that i said right i'm going to stop doing acting stop doing plays stop doing directing i'm just going to focus my energy on doing stand-up yeah but you um you studied law initially isn't mm-hmm. that right so what mm-hmm. prompted the change from a legal career to a dramatic one you may, that's quite a common thing. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people who go into law thinking, yeah, I can just see myself now with a wig on in a court, <laughs> people, all my thoughts. And then you realize that actually that's not, that's not law. That's, that's acting. <laughs> <laughs> so I was never really, I was never really thinking about the bit where I had to like do law. I was just thinking about the bit where I was like dressed up in a room, talking loudly in full voice, convincing people that I was right. So I think probably that was always a thing that gravitated me towards law. And it was only years later that I realized that's not law, that's acting. So yeah, (laughs) law was a bit of a red herring. I think deep down, it was always acting that I wanted to do. So let's talk about the obviously you spent your formative years growing up in France and a lot of what you do now draws very deeply from that. So how did you take the path of going from growing up in France to living back in England and how how did those two cultural uh, impacts on you manage your dramatic career? Um, well, I moved to England for university. Mm-hmm. So I didn't live in England. I don't remember living in England before I was 18. So I moved to England when I was 18. I think there would have been a brief period when I was very young where I lived in England, but I was born in Zimbabwe. And Mm -hmm. then we moved to the UK. I must have lived there for a little bit, but I can't remember it. And then we moved to France when I was like four. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I moved back to England when I was 18, uh, for me, it was not moving back as much as it was moving to a country which I'd never really lived in. I'd spent summers there-ish sort of over the years. I'd been on, you know, done trips and stuff. So I I knew England Mm -hmm. and to myself, I thought, oh, you know what England is, you're you're English. But actually moving back to England, I was like, it's a real long time to realize that I really didn't know England and actually how French I was. So I think that that has continued to inform sort of my work. And even before I did stand up, I was sort of writing bilingual stuff. I think ultimately, you know, you, you do sort of write what you know and write what you've experienced. And that obviously informs what you're doing. And so that for me is where that comes from. It's not really a conscious thing. It's just that's obviously a big part of me and what has informed my life, having been brought up in France. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just influenced my work in a very a fluid and accidental kind of way. Does that mm-hmm. answer your question? Yeah. So it was quite uh, quite early that you, I mean, relatively early, when you started doing the bilingual take that you do with, um, I think it was a Molière production. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me see if uh, I can say this right. Please don't criticise me. It's, uh, no. <laughs> Precieuse ridicule. Fantastique. Perfect. I mean, are you bilingual? Uh, naturellement. <laughs> no, that's as far as my French goes, I'm afraid. Fantastic. <laughs> you got, you got, you got the skills. You got the skills. <laughs> uh, yes, that that was the first play 
That was the first foray into sort of French and English, which I did with my friend Katie and Bess, who I went to drama school with. And um, yeah, and and I really, I really enjoyed it. It was something which I wanted to do. It wasn't calculated. I didn't think to myself, mm. well, I speak French, so let's use this skill. I just remember thinking, you know, maybe there's a bit of me that missed France and wanted to kind of uh, like sort of dive back into Frenchness. And, and that was a way in which I could do that. Yeah. Is it um, because you've obviously performed all around internationally? I'm interested in the cult- in the cultural differences in comedy. So is it similar to performing um, a take on the English to a French audience as it is doing a take on the French side to an English audience? Mm, yes and no. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that I think that a lot of people that come to my shows now are people who probably already follow me online. Mm. And so they are, often have some kind of link in some way to England. So it will be people very often who have lived in England or in an anglo uh, an anglophone country so in the U- us or in in england mm-hmm. it will be people who have an english or french parent it will be people who have had an english or french boyfriend or we have studied one so it'll be french people who are into english or english people who are into france so often it's people who have a really good understanding of both of both cultures mm-hmm. um, if i'm doing it to a purely french audience who maybe are just punters who may have been to england uh, on a trip, but aren't necessarily really like engaged with English culture. Uh, there yeah. are some things that they will definitely get, but mm-hmm. not necessarily everything. And I would actually say that it's interesting because I have noticed that um, English crowds get it more generally than uh, general French crowds. So if you're taking mm-hmm. the idea of like, you just got some English people in a random club or some French people around the club, the jokes I make about English and French men or about um, English and French lifestyle, the English get it much more than the French get it. And I think that is funny because a lot of the time I have noticed more generally that the English are very, 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 very good at laughing at themselves. Mm. They're like, that's a real like a British comedy sense of humor superpower that they are really comfortable laughing at themselves. The French are not so it doesn't sit as comfortably for them. They, they, they sort of rail against it, but they're like, are we, are we made fun of? I don't know how I feel about this, but the English that'd be like, yes, we are, you know, ridiculous. Please shit on us. We love it. So <laughs> it's much easier. I find, um, yeah, so, uh, some some of the content, I think the French are very good at the, the, the French will laugh at things. They're good comedy audiences. Mm. Uh, they can be more generous, actually, than English crowds. But when it comes to laughing at themselves, I think they're right. really fantastic at that. Have you ever had a situation where you've thought of something and, and thought it might work for both audiences and it's just completely gone against you? Yeah, I have a joke about how... Um, I do a sort of French versus English men comparison bit. And mm. basically the punchline to the one on the French is like his wife calls him. So that's <laughs> a reference to the idea that Frenchmen yeah. always having affairs. Mm. And I do it. It always lands with an English crowd. It always lands with a French crowd in England. It always lands. I did it to a French crowd in Paris. And I mean, radio silence, tumbleweed. <laughs> it was like you could hear a pin drop. And I, and you know, you know, when you're just like, come on, come (laughs) on, guys. I mean, let's talk about, you know, Francois Hollande, 
like your French president, like it's yeah. even if they're <laughs> even if they're thinking, oh, it's not true. You want to sort of say, you know, the reputation. Like, yeah. come on, let's have a giggle about it. But they were absolutely not open to the idea that Frenchmen have affairs. Like, no. So that's an example of something which really didn't land <laughs> well with a French audience. Yeah. Tell me about the the origin of your mixed bill that you run, which is uh, Liberté, Égalité, Comédie. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't really intend to run a, um, a sort of, when I started it, I didn't intend to run it as more than one night. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a night to celebrate the 14th of July, which is Bastille Day. Mm -hmm. And that was something which um, uh, I didn't, I sort of looked online in sort of London and I thought I can't really see anyone who's doing anything much to sort of like celebrate it. So I wanted to put together something just because it's a really big event in France, big national holiday, the 14th of July. It's always a big fireworks display. I remember it from when I was a kid. Yeah. And I thought I'd quite like to have this day as like a national day and be able to gather with French people in London. Mm -hmm. And obviously my thing is comedy. So I thought, well, why not put together a comedy night sort of celebrating French and English culture and everything French and English sort of an opportunity for us to get together. Yeah. Uh, so that was the concept behind it. And it was meant to be a one-off and um and then it sold out very quickly and then uh it was actually the pandemic so what happened was uh we, we had to cut down the crowds to half the room so i'd sold the full house and mm. then we had to do half the room so the other half of the tickets got moved to another day in august so it went from being a one-off to being oh well, now i'm doing two mm. and then that one filled up again and i thought oh well it seems like beyond sort of the 14th of July, people seem keen to sort of get together and enjoy a bit of, uh, I wouldn't even say it's bilingual because I do nods to French, but I would actually say that because there aren't that many French comedians in London, it limits sort of the scope of how bilingual you can make it. But uh, I think it's more like bicultural. And what I try to create with it is people who have uh, a sort of an awareness of Englishness or like what English people are like. So perspectives. Um, so obviously I've had um, Celia Ab, who is French and Ahir Souma as well. Mm -hmm. But also uh, I've had people like um, Hubert Mayer, who's Austrian. Yeah. Um, Ishan Akbar, who is obviously British, but he does have some fantastic perspectives on sort of British culture that he brings in. Mm -hmm. So it's it's about sort of like talking about what it means to be maybe a bit of a fish out of water um, and what it's like to sort of look at the English and British and what it's like living in England. So that's yeah. what the night has become. And I sort of just like run it when I fancy it, really. I mean, I don't really have it set as a particular date. It just yeah. sort of like pops up. I think, oh, you know, I'll do one for spring. And I don't have one in the diary now, but maybe I'll put one on in, in December. Though I will confess that when I first did the night, it was also because I didn't have enough content really developed yet to want to do a one hour on my own. Right. So I wanted to sort of like do a mix bill in which I'd be able to sort of MC yeah. and try some bits and try some material and then have a mix of acts that would also be like bringing up the quality overall of the night. Um, and, you know, so creating that kind of a, a, a mixed bill, whereas now I am going into doing developing my one hour show. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure 
you know, if I will do many of the mixed bills, because probably I'm going to be pushing and prioritizing my 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 one hour. And out of presumably the similar story with the pandemic, yeah. would you say that was how your TikTok and Insta videos bore fruit? Yeah, though, you know, when we think back on it, I sort of think to my, obviously it was during the pandemic, which mm. I started making content and it took off. Yeah. But I don't know, but but it's, I don't know whether or not it would have taken off before the pandemic, except that I wouldn't have been in a headspace, headspace to make it. Mm. So I think online comedy always existed and sketch comedy existed and yeah. TikTok was already there. But I think that it wasn't in my headspace, in my kind of um, sort of like, I suppose, my horizon to make online content. Mm. But whether or not I would have made it before and it would have took off, maybe. So I don't know. It's so much. I'm not sure whether that TikTok or Instagram changed, but certainly my relationship to it changed during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. But if you'll forgive me, I think it's probably the way you're best known globally is from the, the videos. I mean, across different yeah. different platforms now, you've racked up nearly 40 million, I think, currently. Yeah. I mean, we'll wait yeah. to the end of the podcast. It might have gone up another <laughs> minute. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't I haven't counted it up. I think I did it once a while back for a poster. Um, mm. And it was around that. Maybe it's well, it won't have gone down. But yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact number. It's quite a tedious thing counting it. <laughs> <laughs> but does that... It surprises me. Does it surprise you? Does it continue to surprise you? Yeah, it does. It does surprise me. It did surprise me. I didn't expect it and I didn't set out for it at all. Mm. It was just like a creative kind of endeavor. It never occurred to me that you could build up an audience online like that. I guess, you know, other people have done it and were doing it. So I don't know why. Like I said, it just really wasn't, Yeah. really wasn't at all in my, um, in my kind of repertoire, I didn't think to myself that that was an option available to me or something that all I wanted was to be able to have a little bit of an online presence. And by mm -hmm. presence, I mean online content, really. It, so that if people Googled you, they, they could find a little bit of your work mm -hmm. and get a sense a bit of who you are. And also to keep myself sort of like creatively engaged in a time where I wasn't doing stand up. Yeah. So that was my objective with doing the online stuff. And then it sort of in a way took on a life of its own and it took off and I've been trying to sort of like honor it and service it ever since. Yeah. Um, I think what surprised me was finding out just how many people I guess are interested in the bilingualness or the French and English aspect of things, which I mm. hadn't really expected and i think that's the great thing about doing online work is that you do reach such a global audience yeah. so you know it might be that in london you might struggle to find an audience that are interested in both french and english culture but when you take everyone around the world there are a, a lot of people out there who have an interest in france and in england and in those cultural perspectives mm. so you can build yourself a much bigger uh, a much bigger audience so i think that's specific to the online and it hadn't occurred to me until I started making content yeah mm -hmm. so doing content on on social media social media has the the advantage of giving you a global audience but it also has a disadvantage that people feel very readily easily uh, able to comment so have you mm -hmm. had any let's call it feedback that uh, surprised you well to be honest with you I don't really um I don't delve too much into it I read my comments i skim my comments mm -hmm. but i don't um i don't read it in all the detail okay so 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be careful because um, I think if you're putting work out there, which you all are all the time, yeah. um, there are always going to be people who aren't going to like what you do, which is absolutely fine. Mm. And then there are some people who aren't going to like what you do and they're going to want to tell you that they don't like what you do, which is also fine, but not as nice. And there are people who are going to not like what you do and not like you for doing it and who are going to um you know really uh sort of like maybe quite aggressively comment on it mm. i've not i don't know if i've not had the experience of trolls or if i just don't pay attention to it but the way i look at it in order to make it sustainable to do online work and to put stuff out there all the time i think for me the way i have uh, sort of found to cope and to deal with it is to um not dive too much into it you know, you put something out there, you skin the comments, I reply to a few of them at the top, thank you, thank you, you know, press some likes back, because I am, it's lovely when people comment, and it's nice to engage with it. Mm. But also at the same time, I think you've got to have a little bit of sort of um, boundaries for yourself. So you're not spending your day scrolling through all your comments and reading them through and looking at them and sort of thinking, oh, you know, because I, I think it, 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 otherwise, I think it would go to heart. Mm. So um so it might be that i've had some horrible comments but i think i've put boundaries in place for myself that i try not to expose myself too much to that kind of content yeah okay well let's talk about some positive feedback so um <laughs> so funny women 2021 you were semi-finalist and called one to watch how do you find being in competitions like that i don't like competitions <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't enjoy them. I'm sure no, no one enjoys them. Um, I don't think, I guess I, what I thought to myself was comedy competition is a good way to get yourself like noticed and to get yourself sort of yeah. maybe ideally get yourself an agent or to get yourself picked up on. And then when I started doing the online content and I was building myself a following online, I started to think to myself, do you know what? maybe this is going to be the way in which you can get yourself noticed by the industry. Yeah. And I made the conscious decision to not enter into competitions anymore because I find them uh, difficult. I don't have a great track record with them. I wasn't going far and, you know, it's not all about the winning, but obviously it wasn't then, it, you know, it was just not a pleasant experience. Yeah. So not, no offense to funny women, you know, I think they're lovely and I think what they do is great. And I think it, they've, you know, given some great performers some great platforms, you know, Lara, who won last year, mm -hmm. she's got signed by a fantastic agency. She's now debuting in Edinburgh at the Pleasance. Like her career has gone from strength to strength. And that yeah. I think was definitely off the back of the platform of doing the Funny Women Awards. Um, so it's great opportunities. But for me, I sort of went with, okay, um i don't think the juice is worth the squeeze for me on these and <laughs> i'm doing my um my my online stuff and that's putting me out there and hopefully that that will be enough so when you're doing um sketch comedy online and if you're improvising mm -hmm. do you envisage characters in mind do you have sort of people go to characters in your in your head do you think i oh this waiter would be well played by this person that i've used in another way before 
Yeah, I think I definitely have like the profile of the characters. Right. And sometimes as I'm filming, I'll sort of go, no, that doesn't feel like their voice. And I'll be like, I'll change the attitude. Either mm -hmm. like it's too aggressive or it's not aggressive enough or it's just it doesn't feel quite right for that particular character. Um, but in the building of them initially, I didn't have in my head a visual of the person. I just had the voice mm -hmm. and certain like tag words. It's a bit like when you're trying to go into an accent that you have like accent tags. So there might just be like one word that you say in Scottish and then it gives you like a Scottish accent. And right. then with that, you find yourself being like a Scottish, like, you know, <laughs> out of nowhere, this physicality comes with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens when I do French characters. Sometimes my go-to is my close friend, Maiva, who is still one of my best friends who lives in France. Mm -hmm. And especially when I'm thinking about relationships, I think about how her and her boyfriend talk to each other. And that gets me into the mindset of a, of a sort of character. <laughs> do you have occasions where you forget the nuances and you find yourself inhabiting the wrong character or, or the character suddenly takes you over more no but sometimes i think no i i don't know because you know i'm always watching back what i'm doing okay so you know it's like i sort of check myself and i can see when i look at it i think oh that's not quite right and then i shift it so i never sort of get carried away i'm constantly on like a feedback loop so you're sort of checking what you're doing right. i don't film it all and then watch it back i film it one bit I film 30 seconds, I watch it back. I write the script before I do it. And then when you start filming organically, things start to happen maybe, or like you get a bit inspired, you're like, oh, actually, and you start riffing. And then the step, the sketch sometimes completely changes. Mm. So you might have started on one pathway and then it, it, it completely changes. Yeah. So yeah, that, that can happen for sure. Yeah, that, that can happen for sure. Okay. Do you feel that when you're doing straight stand-up that your on-stage persona is a, is a character that you're playing? No. No? We're seeing the no. real you? No, yeah, not not at all. I think it's like a different aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you're sort of like putting forward different sides of yourself always. Like, I think that I have the capacity to be quite um, serious. <laughs> you know, and have quite serious conversation. I used to be present at the debating society. So I do like a good serious conversation. <laughs> and obviously when you're on stage doing stand up, that's not that foot that you're putting forward. Yeah. But no, I think that actually what I really enjoy about being on stage and is actually really important to me is that I am talking about just myself and my upbringing and my take on things and the way I feel. Um, and sometimes I exaggerate a bit, you know, you sort of mm. like ham up a bit. English women are like this, it's a bit of a ham up. French people are like that, it's a bit of a ham up. But I think especially that's what's nice about doing a one hour show is that you can sort of say that and then you can pull it in and you can nuance it and you can say, you know, it's all part of like a bit of an exaggeration. But this is, you know, this is where you, I sit. So, uh, so no, 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 it's not, it's not, um, a character even though i do bits of sketches it's always mm. you know coming from myself and that's important to me i think that um i uh, i only ever write stuff that's like true i never write a false story or something mm. that i've invented or something that didn't happen i always write yeah everything i write about and say on stage is like true to, to, to how i feel or stuff that's happened to me mm. 
has there been um, anyone or anything in your in your life that's really dictated that that's closeness to the truth that you want to put on stage? Is there something that's dictated or basically informed you that says this is how I want to be on stage? I think it's no, no one's sort of set that out. I think it's just like how I feel about it. And I think mm. it's also based on like what kind of stand up I like to watch and what I really enjoy. Yeah. And the kind of stand up that I enjoy is stand up, which is comedy, which is often on a line between like, um, like, I think if you can pull in that element of like, it's got feeling and it's funny, that's a wonderful thing. Right. So it's funny because it's true. And also it's funny and I'm feeling a certain way about it. Um, I think that's really powerful. And that's always what I enjoy to watch. Mm. So, you know, I loved Nanette. I thought her show was fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed um, Janine Haruni's debut hour, I can't remember the name of it, but I thought that was uh, very good. And just generally, if it makes you laugh but also you feel like you're getting to know the person i think lucy frederick always does lovely shows like this where you you you're laughing you know it's warm and you're laughing but you're also really learning about her about her experience of being a stepmom or about her experience of like her relationship to her own body and that for me is what i love to watch when i go and see a show i like to come away from a show feeling like I've enjoyed it, but also I felt a real communion with the person on stage and mm. I've really got to know them. So that's what I enjoy, I enjoy watching. And that's what I try to make work, which is, um, you know, funny enough that I suppose you can sort of broadly reach people mm-hmm. or people, it, 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 you know, people feel like they've got a relationship to what you're saying, but yeah. at the same time is, individual to you and you're sharing a bit of yourself on stage i think that's nice yeah you are still able to watch comedy as an entertainment is that something that you do often no (laughs) (laughs) no it's not it's not really no i find it hard to watch comedy and like laugh Mm. a lot of the time when i'm watching comedy it's like oh yeah Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes good right that makes sense yeah i saw that callback coming okay yeah um i don't watch much comedy online i like to watch live comedy so that i do enjoy doing but that's also like educating myself on what my peers are doing and what they're writing and um and supporting them in their work as well so yeah and i'm really excited i'm super excited about going to edinburgh and seeing what everyone is making i love seeing my friend shows i love seeing my colleague shows i really enjoy seeing how they've grappled with that hour and how they've shaped it and what they're making of it mm. so i don't necessarily even go in thinking i can't wait to laugh my socks off uh but i go in thinking oh i'm so intrigued i like i'm i really am interested to find out you know, what this is going to be about and who they are and yeah. what they want to speak on. I think that's what I look, really look forward to. Yeah. So do, when you're going up to Edinburgh, as you say, and you, you know, you're excited to see these other shows, do you always go to friends and colleagues or do you do you look for something new and maybe get inspiration from something else that might be happening that's unknown to you? Um, I think that I, I mean, I say friends and colleagues, it, you, even if we're not close hmm. colleagues, you know, I've just got like a long list of people who I know from, who I know from the comedy network. And yeah. so 
I would like to see, I would like to see what my peers are making, you know, mm. what, um, what's coming out. Yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely. Like, I think one of the great things about Edinburgh is keeping your ears to the ground and hearing what the show to see is. Yeah. And I always like to do a nice spread of like stand up, but also theater and even like dance shows because, yeah. you know, you never know where the inspiration is going to come from. And I think it's a nice, I, generally speaking, I think it's nice to have quite a, I like to have, try and keep quite a, a wide cultural palette so yeah. that you're sort of like creatively pulling influences from lots of different places. Yeah. I mean, I still, you know, only make jokes about the French and the English and, you know, fart <laughs> jokes. So it, I, I make it sound as if like I'm really highbrow and it's like I'm taking influence from opera and dance, not at all, you know, <laughs> but it's just, I, but 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 I just think it's nice. It's a nice, you know, whether it's reading a book, it's just nice to sort of it feeds, I think, your creativity in different ways. Mm, yeah, I like that. So as a writer, director, improviser, comedian, is there an aspect <laughs> of your career that you haven't yet focused on? Well, acting has definitely taken a backseat because of doing stand up. Mm -hmm. So that's something which I haven't done so much of. And um I and I think that and I haven't written as much. I mean, I've written stand up, mm. but um, I would like to get back into writing dialogue, into writing um, sort of either a sitcom or a play. That is something which has taken a bit of a backseat because of doing stand up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard doing all of them at the same time because I really take my hat off to people who wear lots of hats at the same time because. <laughs> it's it's a lot of work to be good at one thing so i'm always impressed by people who are able to sort of um you know keep those different plates spinning and stay at a good level i mean mm. you know in order for me to focus on writing i think i'd probably have to uh put stand up on the back burner because i feel like i would need that level of sort of energy and concentration you know right. yeah when you when you're writing for TikTok or Instagram, do you consider although these are comedy sketches, do you mm. write them as dramatic characters? Not dramatic characters, but I always write thinking about the truth of how they feel in that moment. Right. So I try not to. It's exaggerated within a window, mm -hmm. but I think it's not farcical, and I still try and find the truth in it. Yeah. So it's like, it's true to these characters, like what these characters are saying are true. And in the moment that I perform it, I try and like really engage with the truth of how I'm feeling. Yeah. So to come at it from the inside of the character, not looking at the character from the outside is what I, I do try and do. Yeah. Right. And have you learned any lessons from successes or failures that you can take forward without um, having been taught them, but that you've, you've realized something, you've, you know, mm. this is something I can learn and take from show to show. I mean, loads. I think that's like the great thing about being a performer and performing for quite a few years, you know, you just pick up stuff along the way. But um, one thing early doors that happened with Instagram that I thought was, was, was something, yeah, that I have definitely taken with me is mm -hmm. I was doing all sorts of sketches before I started doing the French and English stuff. I hadn't really nested out yet on what my thing was going to be. Yeah. I, so I was trying lots of different types of stuff. And the first video that I ever, um, that I did that went viral mm -hmm. was actually a sort of sketch around mothers. 
And I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was kind of uh, maybe a bit of a kind of a, a, a bit of a waitrose kind of mum joke or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly, but it was about mums. Mm-hmm. And it got quite a lot of views. And then I did another one and I remember someone commenting on them and being like, but I don't understand why you're making this. Right. I think it was about mum's net, which said, I don't understand why you're making this because you're not a parent. So why are you making sketches about uh, mum being a mum or what it's like to be on mum's net? And, um, and I'm not saying that you have to embody everything that you're making. You know, you don't have to be a mum to make jokes about what it is to be a parent. Uh, I, I don't think, I think that's a bit of like, I think that's a bit too, too strict a rule, but I did listen to that comment and think to myself, yeah, maybe there's something in this. What? I'm not a parent. Well, what, what, what am I about? What can I do? What's my kind of story? What's true to me? Mm. And I think that's quite a good thing, actually, generally for when you're writing something. Again, it's that idea of just like bringing it back to yourself. Like, yeah, I could make jokes about being a mum or like the different parents on mum's net. But actually, how much do I really know about that world? And why don't I sort of look more closer to home and think about what mm. what, what it is that I know, you know, and, and write from that? So that was a tangible experience of something which definitely did inform the work that I did afterwards. Mm. But you have a mum, so you know what mums are like, surely. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but this, my mum wasn't falling into the category of what that sketch was. I'm not saying other people would apply this rule. I don't yeah. think other people have to. But just for me, in that moment, I did think to myself, yeah, I can see where this is coming from. Mm. And it, and, and then I and then I changed and I found a thing which is more true to me. Okay. So so it worked out it worked out for the best. Okay. Tell me about the show you're taking to Edinburgh. Ah, uh, I am taking a show to Edinburgh called Fugue, um, which the meaning of which will become clear if 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 you, if you come and see the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a show which I have been working on over the last sort of year. Yeah. Uh, in bits, bits and bobs, dips and drabs, and which I am taking up to Edinburgh for, for a 45 minute work in progress, Coward's Hour, and then <laughs> we'll form, I hope, if it's if it's good enough, hopefully next year will be my sort of, um, my debut hour. Mm-hmm. Is there a theme to the story? Yeah, I mean, it very much feeds into what I already do in the sense that it's all about sort of the French and the English um, and like cultural observations between the two countries. But it is really about my experience of being uh, a a roast beef in France and a frog in England and me coming to terms with my own sense, maybe of like cultural displacement Mm. and what it means to be bicultural and sort of raised in one country but parents are from another but you're born somewhere else entirely and now you live in this place but you sort of feel a bit in between you know what what it means to belong somewhere uh is what is what the show is about and also i guess how that has been impacted for me off the back of having brexit and how that's changed the 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 landscape of things yeah okay and where and when can we come and see you so that's going to be on at 7.30. Okay. 
yeah. at the uh, Cabaret Voltaire, which is a free fringe venue. Mm-hmm. And I'm there from the 13th until the 21st of August. How have you found the show, putting together a show? And you said this is the work in progress, but because you've been doing it for a year, how have you mm. found the show changed from the way you originally envisaged it so far? Well, I've got songs in it now, which I didn't have in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because I absolutely can't bloody sing. But um, that's something that I've added in. And I spent a month in Paris in May watching stuff, doing some gigs, because I wanted to see what French stand-up looks like and how it's different to English stand-up. And I've tried to pull in some elements of that into the show as well. Mm -hmm. So I have sections in the show where I sort of change the lighting a bit and really try and turn it into a sketch So it's a bit theatrical in places. And that's something which has been a change from being a purely stand-up show to sort of some theatrics and some singing. So yeah, it's it's sort of taking on different shape as it's going along. And by the time I get to Edinburgh, it might be different again. By the time I get to Edinburgh next year, it might be a completely different show. You know, that's the great thing about doing work in progress is is that you're just sort of snipping and, and changing it as you go along. And have you been working with a director? Because it seems like there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah, um, I haven't got a one director yet who mm-hmm. I'm sort of working with uh, on it in a kind of consistent way. Yeah. But um, I have a very good friend from university who I went to drama school with called um, Rebecca Banatvala, who is a brilliant actor and writer and director. And so she was wonderful. When I did my run at the Soho Theatre, she sort of came in with me, we workshopped it. And yeah, she was that outside pair of eyes. Yeah. Just so difficult when you're when you're a stand up, you know, not seeing yourself in the space and what it's all looking like. So I worked with her, and hopefully, I think we'll we'll work again. But I love collaborating with people, so I'm I'm hoping to sort of work with lots of different people on the show as it as it sort of progresses over the next year. Wonderful. And can you then, for me, finally sum up comedy in a nutshell? Comedy generally, or my comedy? However, you wish to interpret it. Um. <laughs> Uh, well, let, let me try and think of something. <laughs> let me try and think of something seminal. Um, comedy <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, well, one thing that I think, one thing that I always go back to when I do, when I talk about comedy and when I'm doing comedy and a rule for myself I have that I always, always go back to is it's funny, you're not funny. <laughs> and that for me is probably comedy in a nutshell. It's funny, you're not funny, which sounds really bad in the concept of stand up, but <laughs> I guess no, let I'll scrap that. That doesn't that sounds a bit harsh. Um, because <laughs> the comedians are hilarious. Uh here's another one. I would say it's 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 funny because it's true. I think there's an element of that. Yeah, I'd say that always that link between it um truth and comedy, that is something which for me, is uh, the comedy in a nutshell that I definitely go for. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I will see you in Edinburgh. You will. See you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.